If you have your Bibles, did you bring them? Amen. Let's make our declaration. This is my Bible. I live by its truth. I walk in its light. I rest in its promises. I'm empowered by its love. And I overcome by the faith produced from receiving this seed sown into my heart. Father, I thank you today for your word that is alive, that is quick, that is powerful, that is transforming in our life. So, Father, I pray your blessing over the word this morning. Father, I pray that every heart, every life will be ministered to by your truth. In Jesus' name, somebody said? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Open your Bibles up to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, and I want to read this account. Well, actually go to John chapter 13, because I want to read a couple of uh, verses to you there. And a few weeks ago, actually back at the end of January, through the month of February, we kind of, we had Sister Portia with us, and then we have communion on the next Sunday, then Michael Turner was with us, so now we're here. So today, I just want to pick up on what we've been ministering on, on towels or titles. And as we get into this this morning, I just want to, if you look outside when you come in, we have it on our sign out here, we have it on the sign out front, that we want to be a church with passion and people with purpose. Amen. We want to have passion about our worship, we want to have passion about honoring God and living for God, but we want to do that through purpose in our life. We want to enact and, and release God's purpose through our life. And so doing that, that's always connected. God's purpose is always connected to people. And so true Christianity is, uh, we're, we're hearing a lot today called cancel culture. There's a lot going on about in cancel culture. Poor Mr. Potato Head just got canceled this week. You know, we've got a problem when we're upset by the gender of a plastic toy. I mean, it's just a weird world that we live in today. When you have to, you know, read, you know, Mr. and Mr. Potato Head, they're just two spuds now. No identity, just a pair of spuds. Amen. So, but that's cancel culture, canceling everything and and attacking everything. But Christianity is not about cancel culture, it's about counterculture. Because true Christianity runs counter or runs sideways to the culture of the day. Whether it's our day or any generation, God's kingdom is counter to the kingdom of this world. It's a counterculture. It's not a cancel culture, but it's a counterculture. It's opposite of. It's the other side of. It's the right side up, not upside down. Amen? And so in that, and so as a church, and understanding that, that's what Jesus was doing. Every time Jesus came into there, he, he, everything he did was counter to the culture and, and the mode of his day. And it upset people because he was a counterculture person. You understand that? But that's what we're called to be in our world today. You can't be salt and you can't be light without being counter to the culture. You're doing all right? And so to live by that is so important. In John chapter 13, we know we've, we've covered this, kind of been the premise of what we've been talking about. And, and I have it in this way for this, the reason God has this ministry or not. Why build a new sanctuary if we're not going to reach more people? Why expand if we're just going to stay the same? So God never empowers you to have more unless he wants to do more through your life. Anytime God gives you more, opens a door for you to have more, it's because he's expecting to do more through your life. Everything God does in the earth, he does through the lives of his people. And so if he's given us an opportunity to expand the borders, then it's because he wants us and going to open the opportunity for us to have more outreach into our community and into our world. Could you say amen? 
So that's what we're believing for. We're building to reach more and to uh, impact more in a way as church with passion and people with purpose. John chapter 13, when Jesus finished washing the disciples' feet in verse 12, he said, so when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? And that's really what I'm trying to get across through this series of messages. This is the third message that we've done this with some of the interruptions in here. But do we really understand what Jesus did to his disciples, what he was teaching them, and what he was explaining, what he's trying to get across to us in our day so we can have impact in our culture as well? So look at your outline with me. We'll come back to Matthew 25 in a few moments. The The fullness of the essence of the gospel is this, God's unmerited provision for a lost and dying world. That's the gospel. God has made available unmerited provision for a lost and dying world, that he would be able to redeem the world back to himself. It is upon us to see that provision proclaimed and dispersed to those who will receive it, even to those who will reject it. So even in a world where we're living counterculture to the world, there'll be people who don't want to hear the gospel, but we're supposed to tell them anyway. Amen. And then there are people who will receive the gospel, and we're supposed to disperse that to them. Every person who had received, Jesus would tell them, now freely you have received, now go give what you have received. Christianity was never meant to be Christians just taking in from God. It was for us to be a living flow of his life through us. Amen. And so that's where we live. There we are. How's that? That better? Yeah. Hey, he's back. I needed Donnie for a drum set. There we are. Hallelujah. So it's the compassion of God that moved him to send his son into the earth to serve the needs of humanity. In providing for them what they could not provide for themselves. Every act of compassion... True compassion does just that. Hear it. It provides that which others cannot provide for themselves, placing one at the feet of another. Our team's going to go down next week, and that's what they're going to do. They're going to provide a house for someone who cannot provide that for themselves. So we're going to minister compassion to them, and we're actually going to be there at their feet, ministering to them, humbling ourselves before them, and giving out through that to minister to their life. See, these acts are as foreign to an unrenewed mind today as it was to theirs, to the disciples in that day. Their thoughts, the disciples, were only attuned to who will be greatest, who will sit the closest, who will be honored the highest, as they were consumed with the aspirations of prestige, 
privilege and pride for their place in his kingdom at the end of the age. So Jesus is declaring the kingdom of God. They're the called out ones that are with him. And they're all jockeying for position. We read a few weeks ago. James and John even got their mom to come. And asked to let Jesus let them one sit on his right hand. And on his left hand. But the act of washing the disciples feet. Completely demolishes the entire notion of status and privilege. It, invade, it invalidates any consideration of greatness. It turns around the question about who will admire me and serve me and meet my needs, and it asks instead, who must I acknowledge and how can I meet their needs? It turns what's in it for me to what do I have to offer others? That's the definition of Christianity, that God's put something in us. He has graced us and instilled his gifts, his ministry, his life, his nature, his provision in us so that we have something to give to someone else. We've been talking to the men on Monday nights. We're talking a little bit on leadership and becoming how we use this as servant leaders in that. But listen what Romans 12, or 1 Corinthians 12, 7, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every person, to every man, to profit with all, or for the benefit of others. So God said, this is what I would do. I will put my spirit in you in such a way that he will manifest and express himself through you, and through that expression, by me allowing my spirit to flow through you, you will bring a benefit into somebody else's life. Glory to God. That's awesome stuff. Amen. And then people say, well, we don't need that stuff today. How would you throw that away? Just curious. So look, at, look inside your outline. So Jesus' final act was an attempt to reinforce their attention. The last thing he did before they go to prayer in the garden, before he takes the disciples, before he's betrayed, before he goes through his passion and the crucifixion, the last thing he does is wash the feet of his disciples. Wow. It is his attempt to refocus their attention on the true meaning of the kingdom and his purpose being passed on to them. Jesus says, I'm going away. I'm passing the baton of my purpose on to you. I'm leaving. Here's the baton. We're running this race. I'm passing the baton to you. So you're going to run this race the way I've modeled it for you. Do you understand what I have done to you? Blessed are you if you do, then do the same thing. That's what he said. So what? Let's talk about peripheral compassion. In this bit, but before we go there, so, so what was he doing? Let me give you this last part. Loving people from a living well of compassion that would flow through them. You are called, I am called if I'm a Christian, to love people from a living well of compassion that he has put inside of us. Amen. I mean, we, we live in a crazy world and a lot of hateful things going on in the world. I bet you know what? You got to love people anyway. A lot of crazy stuff going on, a lot of hateful things, a lot of just destructive things being declared through our government, through our society, all kinds, all the division and separation. And you know what? God died for every one of those people. Jesus died for every one of those people. He loves them and would want every one of them. Listen to what the Bible says. It says God doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants everybody. God doesn't want anybody. I can't think of anything so demonstratively wrong before God that is worth anybody spending eternity 
in hellfire and torment for all of eternity, never ending. No way out, no escape, sealed. Come on, that, that, that's just crazy. Or that we would seal anybody to that or wish anybody, wish that upon anybody. God doesn't wish on anybody. He wants everybody to be saved. Amen? So think about, what is peripheral compassion? It is seen through the eyes of compassion. Jesus saw things other people paid no attention to. And offered miraculous answers to questions no one else even knew how to ask. I want you to hear this because when I'm talking about this, so as a church, there's something that has to move us into this place of having compassion, not just in our own group, but as we look out upon our community. Jesus lived his life seeking opportunities to turn his love for people into action. We begin to love people. Look, look, what are the two greatest commandments? Love God and... Love your neighbor as yourself. And when he said love your neighbor, he didn't say you get to define your neighbor. He just said your neighbor is whoever next to you. They're just that. Love that person. Amen? And so dealing with that. So to Jesus, these were divine appointments, and he reached out to meet the needs, meet their needs through acts of compassion. His life was a living well of compassion flowing out to people. There are those who came to Jesus and made a request of his intervention into their need. But the majority of the time, he was simply moved with compassion. We read it over and over. Jesus being moved with compassion. He fed the multitudes being moved with compassion. Both times he did it. Seeing their needs, them being with him, being moved with compassion. Seeing the multitudes being lost as sheep without a shepherd, being moved with compassion, called them and began to heal them all without request being made, just with the compassion of his heart being released towards them. Think about that. And their requests, when they did come, were because of what they had heard about him doing for others. He was moved with compassion for the needs of those he was sent to save. Now, I want you to think about this. I've interjected this, but I want you to hear me just for a moment. That means that Jesus moved more without a request than by request. What does that mean to us? If I'm sitting around waiting for somebody to ask me to move, I'll miss most of my opportunities in life. If we wait to be asked before we move, we will miss most of our opportunities in life to see God touch others through our life and diminish our reward in heaven. Because the Bible says there's a reward given for the works that we do. And the reward is connected to the works of the kingdom. The works of the kingdom is ministering to God's compassion to those who it has been prepared for. Amen. So I just have to be on the lookout. I have to learn to look with peripheral eyes of compassion. I have to look for the need. I don't have to be invited in. I have to look for the opportunity. Are you doing all right? The woman at Nain whose son had died and she's walking through there. Jesus interrupted a funeral without being asked to. Jesus healed the man at the pool of Bethesda without being asked to. Jesus moved so many times in compassion towards people just because the need was there, and that's why he was here. Amen. Seeing Zacchaeus in a tree said, come down. Today salvation has come to your house. He moved. He took the initiative to move with compassion. 
So he always moved that way. Let me ask you this. How many does it take? You see, when I refer to the multitude, Jesus looked out in Matthew chapter 14 and in John chapter 6, we read Jesus being the multitude. But here's the question. How many and how much does it take to provide an answer to the needs of others through compassion? It took five loaves and two fish. Come on, anybody could pull that together. Anybody. Even without raising minimum wage. <laughs> Hallelujah. But think about that. So without that, because watch what happened. He's not asking you to meet needs with compassion out of your resources. In John chapter 6, I love it because Jesus asked Philip, look at the multitude. We don't need to send them away. We need to feed them. He says, you give them something to eat. And he said that, and I love what it says in John because it said that Jesus was testing Philip because he already knew what he was going to do. When God is moving upon you to minister to a need, he already knows how he's going to meet that need. He already knows he's the one with the provision and the supply, and he's going to release that through your life. All he needs is for you and I to agree is that he wants to have his compassion flow through our life and to reach them. Amen. And we just say, yes, hallelujah. But in order to do that, many times, it's as if we have to wash feet. Because sometimes we have to humble ourselves. We can't do the thing that I think I want to do or fulfill the thing that I think I should fulfill for him. I have to do the thing that is before me. That means I might have to come down from my pedestal to meet the need. Hallelujah. Are you doing all right? So think about it. Shock and awe, which is total transformation. If I name his name as my identity, then I must take upon myself his nature and character as well. And that's a shock to us. So here is the king of glory. Here is the one who's coming back as king of kings and lord of lords. Here is the one who is about to go to the cross. Here is the one to take the sin upon of the world upon himself, getting ready to go to Calvary to set all of humanity free at the feet of his disciples. Amen. How can I not serve God out of that heart? If I name his name, that's the transformation that he wants to bring about in my life. The disciples, soon to be apostles, had no problem following him and being identified with him. But becoming like him. Are you hearing me this morning? Becoming like him is something totally different. It was yet beyond their comprehension comprehension. The servant life of Jesus symbolized so distinctly in this act of foot washing reveals to us what deep spiritual transformation looks like. Well, I, I have these gifts, I have these talents, and I would like to use these for the Lord. The Lord says, shelve those and let me do my thing through you. Amen. It doesn't mean he doesn't use your gifts or your talent, but in all that area, God just needs you to allow him to be God through your life. He says, if I need something you have, I'll let you know. But you need everything I have. As long as I'm holding on to everything I think I have and everything I think I can do and bless God with, I'm cutting myself off from what he has to bring and blow, flow through my life. Are you doing all right? Praise the Lord. So watch this. So he symbolized that. The call of servanthood is far deeper than simply being helpful or kind. Not just being helpful and kind. This is deeper than that. We're called to disregard all of our aspirations for prestige and privilege. That's what Jesus modeled before his disciples. See, they were, there was nobody in the room who would humble themselves to do what needed to be done but God in flesh. 
because of their position. I'm not going to get down to her feet. I'm, you'll see how why in a minute. See, we're called to disregard all of our aspirations of prestige and privilege. We are to find life's meaning in service of God at the feet of those in our community. God's expanding our border, then the reason he wants us to touch our community in a greater measure than we have ever had before. So that means God's going to be moving us to the feet of those in need of our community. And a holy hush came over the crowd. <laughs> you see, Jesus didn't have to travel to a distant land to find great needs. They were ever present daily before him the same with us today there's no lack of needs around us in El Dorado County there's no lack of need to show compassion and to declare truth and, and, and to let God's life flow through right where we live you see we go there but we're sent here and we serve here are you doing alright I love going there I've gone there I love our team going there we go there but that's not the only place where there is a need are you doing alright you don't have to go to India. You don't have to go to, to, to third world country. You don't have to go to far place. There, there's a real need right where we live. And we just have to have peripheral eyes of compassion to see the need and not wait for an Well, nobody ever asked me to get involved. You live under commandment to be involved. The commission is going to all the world and preach the gospel. How do you preach the gospel? Through acts of compassion to needs. How did Jesus preach it? Listen how he sent out his disciples. He said, go out and heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, set people free, and then tell them, the kingdom has come to you. So he said, go and be moved and, and take the initiative to move and then tell them about the kingdom. See, this is where the disciples were stuck. Go with me to Philippians chapter 2. I want to read this to you out of the Passion Translation. I like it. And uh, this morning, Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, because this is where we get stuck. We all get stuck here. Philippians chapter 1, verses 2, verses 1 through 11. Look how much encouragement you found. I'm reading from the, new pa the Passion Translation. Look how much encouragement you found in your relationship with the Anointing One. You are filled to overflowing with this comforting love. You have experienced the deepening friendship of the Holy Spirit and have felt his tender affection and mercy. So I'm asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity with one heart, one passion, and one united love. Walk together with one harmonious purpose and you will fill my heart with unbounded joy. Verse 3. Be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Do not allow self-promotion to hide in your heart, but in authentic humility, put others first and view others as, <laughs> excuse me, as more important than yourselves. Wow. Verse 4. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. How many know that's radical transformation? How many know that's what I said at the beginning? How many know that is counterculture? 
That is completely counter to the culture of the day that you are in. And I will submit to you today, you are more indoctrinated with the mind of this world than you are with the truth of God's word. Because you are bombarded day in, day out, day in, day out, nonstop with the mindset of this world. That's why the Bible says, do not be conformed to the mind of this world, the thought, the concept of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And if you are not aggressively engaged in renewing your mind to the truth of God's word and living by the character of God that is on the inside of you, then you're living by the culture of your day. So watch this. So look what he said. Abandon every display. Verse 5. And consider, watch this. And consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mind become our, your motivation. Listen to what I said. Do you know what I've done to you in washing your feet? I've given you an example. So what did he do? He humbled himself and became the servant of those he had called to follow him. Verse 6. He existed. This is so good. He existed in the form of God. Yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme pride. Instead he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. God became man. He humbled himself, became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was a perfect example, even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. So Jesus lived the example The Apostle Paul followed it, and he said, this is what Paul said, I've spent my life, my my life has been poured out as an offering. Paul even went this far in Romans 9. He said, "I, I would that I could be cast away, that I could give my life, that my fellow Jews would be saved. He said, I would give my life in sacrifice, that my countrymen might be saved. Listen to verse 9. Because of that obedience, God exalted him and multiplied his greatness. He has now been given the greatest of all names. The authority of the name of Jesus causes every knee to bow in reverence. Everything and everyone will one day submit to his name in the heavenly realm, in the earthly realm, and in the demonic realm. And every tongue will proclaim in every language, Jesus Christ is the Lord. Glory, bringing glory and honor to God his Father. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. But watch that. So exaltation came through humility. The kingdom of God, the counterculture of the kingdom is the way up is down. The way up is down. To go and to serve. To give your life overseas as Tim and Eve is missionary. to, To pour all those years into your life. To go there and to reach somebody. You have to go down in order to go up in the kingdom. Amen. And that's counter culture to our day. So that's where the disciples were stuck. It said, don't just think about your own affair. If this mind, heart, and attitude and way of life ever truly got in us, today it would totally transform everything in our life. It would change our marriages, our jobs, our homes, our churches, and none of them would ever be the same. I mean, I'm preaching really good this morning. I'm buying this CD myself. Hallelujah. (laughs) 
So Jesus said, do you not know what I have done to you? To know their culture, their way of life, and conditions surrounding this act would help us to illuminate our understanding on this event. So let me break this down for you just a little bit. This one act of Christ was so radical to their way of thinking, just as it is to ours today, that few can even comprehend it. They couldn't until after he was resurrected. What Jesus was doing, even for you and I today, many of us are having a hard time wrapping our understanding around this. But get this. This is what the culture teaches of their day and where Jesus, what he was coming in contact with. To be at someone's feet has significant implications. Feet are the symbol of power. Feet are the symbol of power. To be at someone's feet was to acknowledge their position of prominence and authority over you. It was seen as an act of submission, of conquest, and humiliation, as well as reverence and worship. It's a worship song that Clint Brown sings, At Your Feet. At Your Feet. We sing it. I see this a lot. We, we, see a lot. we, we, we sing a lot of songs that I, I, I come, I bow before you and do that, and we never bow. We sing about bowing. We sing about humbling ourselves. We sing about falling at his feet, but we never fall and we never bow. We do it all standing. Because I don't want to look stupid in the middle of a congregation being the only one on my knees before God. What will people think of me? I could care less what people think about me when I'm worshiping God because my worship has nothing to do with them. I'm not singing to them. I'm not singing for them. I'm not trying to impress them. I'm pressing in to my relationship with my Heavenly Father. And He's worthy of me humbling myself before Him. Are you doing all right? And the first place you have to humble yourself is not in the eyes of people. Humility begins in your eyes of yourself. When I can see myself humble before God, then I can live out that humility before Him. You see, when it refers to feet in Joshua chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, they conquered the five kings and they had them in a cave. And Joshua said, bring out the kings and all of you leaders come over and put your feet on their necks. And you declare to them that they are under your feet and they are conquered and a defeated foe. So being at someone's feet was a declaration of subjection. 2 Samuel 22 is David's song. And David's song of conquest. And you have brought all my enemies under my feet. Judges 5.27 is the song of Deborah and her humiliation. That God had humiliated the enemies of Israel and put them under her feet. It is submission in Esther 8 and verse 3. Esther comes before the king petitioning on behalf of her people. And she goes to the feet of the king. Humbles herself before him in submission. And 1 Samuel 22 or 25 is Abigail coming to David. And falling at his feet in submission before him. You see the foot or feet used when used in scripture or Bible culture refers to to be under. That's a huge thing. How many, how many, how many understand this is counterculture? Yeah. 
But this is real Christianity. To be under. Think about this. Psalms A. What, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man. You made him a little older. But you put all things under his feet. Glory to God. It's a declaration of man's sovereignty. Psalms 110 verse 101. That God said that Jesus is seated in the heavenly places. Till he makes his enemies his footstool. Glory to God. It is reverence. In Joshua chapter 5 and Exodus 3. In Joshua 1, it is authority. Every place, every place the sole of your foot shall tread, I've given it unto you. It's a declaration of authority. So why? So think, that's what, this is what I'm saying. For Jesus to go to the feet of his disciples. Listen to what he's declaring about himself. He's making them the authority and he is the submitted one under them. In Luke 8, 35, it is a changed nature. Speaks about the man at the tombs of Gadara, sitting at the feet of Jesus and in his right mind. In Proverbs 1, it speaks of the whole person. It says, my son, keep your foot from the path of iniquity. In Luke 10, it speaks of teachability. That Martha was bothered because Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus while he was teaching. It's a sign of teachability. It is rejection. Matthew 10, 14. If you preach the gospel, we share the compassion. When they don't hear the truth, the Bible says, shake the dust off your feet and go on to the next. In Romans 10, 16, it speaks of final conquest. That the God of peace will soon crush Satan. Where? Under your feet. Final conquest. Now go to Luke chapter 7. And I'll close with this today. In fact, I'm going to read this out of the Passion Translation as well. Luke chapter 7 and verse 37. Actually, verse verse 36. I'm going to read this account. Verse 36. After a religious Jewish leader named Simon asked Jesus to come to his house for dinner, Jesus accepted the invitation and went to Simon's home. He took his place at the table. Verse 37. In the neighborhood, there was an immoral woman of the streets, known to all to be a prostitute. I love the way this translation breaks it down. When she heard about Jesus being in Simon's house, she took an exquisite flask made from alabaster, filled it with the most expensive perfume, went right into the home of the Jewish leader, and knelt at the feet of Jesus in front of all the guests, broken and weeping, She covered his feet with tears that fell from her face. She kept crying and drying his feet with her long hair. Over and over, she kissed Jesus' feet. Then she opened her flask and anointed his feet with her costly perfume as an act 
of worship. So when does my worship take me there? Let me, just, let, let me show you how our, how, how our culture has influenced our churches. Because if the band isn't entertaining enough, I can't enter in. If the atmosphere isn't just right in the building, I can't enter in. The only atmosphere in that room with that woman was the reality that she had been saved and forgiven. And that's all she needed. That's all the atmosphere she needed to be at his feet, to worship him, and to kiss his feet. When Simon saw what was happening, verse 39, he thought this man can't be a true prophet. If he were really a prophet, he would know what kind of sinful woman is touching him. My, how we like to look upon others. And Jesus said, Simon, I have a word for you. The King James actually says, Simon, Simon. Anytime God says your name twice, you're in trouble. It's kind of like mama calling you by your whole name. My mom said, Donald Bruce, preacher, get over here. I knew a whooping was on the way. And God says, Simon, Simon, he has something to reveal and declare to you. Simon says, go ahead, teacher, I want to hear it. No, you don't. No, you don't. I want to hear it. He says, okay. Jesus said, it's a story about two men who were deeply in debt. One owed the bank $100,000 and the other only owed $10,000. When it was obvious that neither one of them would be able to repay their debts, the kind banker graciously wrote off the debt and forgave them all that they owed. Tell me, Simon, which of the two debtors would be most thankful? Which one would love the banker most? Simon answered, I suppose it would be the one with the greatest debt forgiven. You're right, Jesus agreed. Then he spoke to Simon about the woman still weeping at his feet. Do you see this woman kneeling? She, listen to this, listen. She is doing for me what you did not bother to do. That which you couldn't be bothered to do because of how you see yourself and how you perceive me, you couldn't be bothered to do what she is doing for me. When I entered your house as your guest, you invited me here. I came as your guest. You didn't think about offering me water to wash the dust off my feet. Yet she came into your house and washed my feet with her many tears and then dried them with her hair. You didn't even welcome me into your home with the customary kiss of greeting. But from the moment I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not take time to anoint my head with fragrant oil. But she anointed my head and feet with the finest perfume. 
she has been forgiven all of her many sins. That is why she has shown me such extravagant love. But those who assume they have very little to be forgiven will love me very little. How much have you been forgiven of? Have I forgotten? The Apostle Paul would never let himself forget what he had been forgiven of. In fact, Paul called himself the chiefest of sinners. I know people who are proud because they never drank or smoked or ever did drugs. I never did any of those vile things. No, you were just a liar, a thief, a mocker, and, you know, just trivial stuff. So, you know, I'm not like that person. I'm not like that known prostitute on the street. And so I have very dignified worship. I don't have that slobbering foot-kissing need of worship. It's enough that I've invited Jesus into my house. Go back to your outline. Let's walk through this. Say, Pastor, you're getting personal. Absolutely, because I want a revival. The revival will not come without the church having the heart of Christ and being moved with compassion to our community. So let's look at this example. What moved this woman to the feet of Jesus? And could her actions and her response change the way we express our love and worship of him? Think about it. Jesus is invited by Simon, a religious leader, to his house for a meal. But to him, he's just one guest amongst the many. The custom of the day is, if you were of any kind of a host, was to offer your guests as they arrive water for their feet, to greet them with the kiss, and to anoint their heads with oil or perfume. But the Pharisees had no respect for Jesus. And though a guest by invitation in Simon's house, he wasn't even offered the most common courtesies by his host. Was probably even seated at a lower place for the meal, away from the real dignitaries. Said Jesus took a seat. Oh, your place is over there. Their meal was more of a display before him than a fellowship with him. Hear that this morning. Because I believe this is what's happened with the church. That our services have become more of a display than a fellowship with him. Many times the church can be the same way. When she saw the way he was treated, she had to move. Never forget when I heard Tim Delina preach at the camp. And he preached a message called Having Your Back Against the Wall. What moves you to get off the wall and go to Christ? Because, see, part of the culture of that day when they had a leader, houses had courtyard, and people could come and stand on the outside of the courtyard against the wall and, and watch the proceedings going on. 
So this woman is there with her back against the wall. She's watching what's going on. She sees Jesus come in. She knows what she's forgiven of. She knows who he is. And she's watching the way that she has been treated. And to move off of the wall and to enter that room is to violate every custom of their culture. But watching this, she says, I can't tell. Nobody is recognizing him. Nobody is honoring him. Nobody is, is, is realizing and even is aware of who is at the table with them. She's sitting here and says, I, I might be a prostitute. I might be someone with the worst reputation in this town. But I've encountered the one who has forgiven me and set me free. And I can't stay against this wall any longer. And she moved to his feet. And that's where you live today. What keeps you at the wall? What keeps you with the back, your back against the wall when it comes to worshiping God? What, 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 what would it take to move you to his feet? Because if I ever get to his, his feet, then I will find myself at the feet of my community. But if I can't get to his feet, I will never have the compassion to touch those around me. Think about it. She had to move. Jesus said the difference between the way she was treating him and the way Simon treated him was how much they knew they had been forgiven of. I never forget what I've been forgiven of. I lost everything. I destroyed my life. I came to God and gave him literally nothing. He gave me his life. People say, Pastor, where do you get your, where do you get your energy? Where do you get your passion? I've been forgiven. I've been, I had no life. And I've been given a new life. I will live my life as broken bread and poured out wine for God. And the more I break my life, the more I pour my life, the more he pours life into me. You need some energy? Let God break you and pour you out to somebody. The same is true today. Our perception of our own goodness will keep us from the feet of Jesus. Even from offering the most common courtesies to him. Which I'm always amazed. Especially when it comes to giving. I'm amazed at the generosity of the percentage of our people. I'm appalled by the non-generosity of the majority of our people. Because people say my money is more valuable than his kingdom. I need more money for my life. Let somebody else facilitate the kingdom. Thank you for that amen. But yet it goes still one step further. We would all probably have moved like the woman to give Jesus the love and recognition he served, if Jesus was here and I had the opportunity to take my back off the wall to move to his feet. You bet. If I'd have been there, I'd have been the woman. If I'd have been there, I'd have been the woman. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was sick. And you didn't visit me. I was in prison. 
and you didn't come to me? When did we ever see you? And Jesus answered and said, when you've done it to the least of these. Oh yeah, I would bow at his feet. But Jesus said, their feet are my feet. Which is why this brings us back full circle to the upper room and the last night of his life here on earth with his disciples. Matt, would you just come play acoustic for me, please? Think about it. Jesus, conscious of his divine dignity and against Peter's protest, performed for them this lowliest service to be under, to be at their feet is to be under. When Peter said, Not so, Lord, you cannot wash my feet. You washing my feet, you are elevating me over you. Everything you say, everything I know, you are going way too counter to my culture. You have now just pushed me outside of my comfort zone. Foot washing was an act that took away all of the washer's dignity and status. And the only one ready and up to the task was Jesus. Jesus is still looking upon our world with eyes of compassion. And this is what he says. Do you see what I see? Let me show you what I see. Can I move through you with compassion and touch them? Will you let me touch through you? It's an old song that was titled, Touch Through Me. Touch through me, Lord. Touch through me. Simon and those at his house had too much dignity. Looked down upon the one who had been loved by Jesus, forgiven of our sins. This is what they said. If he knew who she was, if he knew what kind of woman he was letting touch him, I would never let that kind of person touch me. She's not even invited to be here. She had to break in. This gathering is too dignified for that kind of people. Reminds me of that old joke. Been kind of heavy. I'll lighten things up for a minute. You've heard me tell it before. The old cowboy moved into town. Relocated, been truck driver all his life, moved into town, old cowboy truck driver. Going to church, looking for a good church, goes into a church, bought himself a new shirt, brand new pair of Lee jeans, had his favorite belt buckle on, bought a brand new hat. 
string bolo tie, looking sharp, is not seen worthy of water, a kiss, and oil. And how long until we move to their feet as if they were His? Say, Pastor, why are you preaching like this? Because if our church is going to have impact in our community, I can't be the only one. God has to mobilize His army, His people. The people have to be willing to be mobilized to start touching their world, reaching their world. I've always found that when I get my heart right, it has a profound effect on everyone and everything else in my life. That when my heart just stays fixed on how much I've been forgiven, how much God has done for me. That old song, He paid a debt He did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. And I am forgiven. I am forgiven. How can I not live my life for Him? Well, I would do that, but you know, I just can't. I just get, okay. Think about it. It affects everything in my life. It changes what I see. It changes what I feel. It changes what I hear. And it changes what I do. I just wrote this little prayer that maybe you would consider praying later today or sometime. It's just a prayer to the Lord. It says, Lord, change my heart to beat with your compassion and love for the broken, wounded, lost, and hurting people you died for. Let me see through your eyes Feel with your heart and touch with your hands. Father, forgive me of my pride. Give me eyes to see, a heart to feel, and hands that will reach out to touch and heal. Let your well of compassion flow from my life as a servant of servants. Being broken bread and poured out wine. For others. Father, I pray today for each and every person. Lord, I pray that we would live so aware of who we are. Father, that we would be transformed into this woman. God, that the awareness of what you've forgiven us of is so great. How can we not find our way to your feet? How can not the pain of our brokenness and the joy of your wholeness move us to tears? To where we would submit our lives to you, not just in authority, but in love and reverence and respect for your great grace in our lives. And God, that we would value you so much that our worship wouldn't just be words and tears, but like this woman, we would be extravagant even in our giving and our living for you. God, that our worship would bring the fragrance 
and declare the price of our love for you. Lord, I pray today, God, that you would move us so. While your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, maybe you're here today. And maybe you're like that woman. Not a man or a woman, but maybe you're a person that can identify with that woman. That in your life you've had a reputation. People have judged you, looked down upon you, pointed at you, talked about you. But right now you feel the love of God coming to you. And the Spirit of God is telling you, as much as I loved her, I love you. What I did for her, I'll do for you today. I'll forgive you. I'll restore you. I'll place my value in you and upon you. If you're here today and you need God's forgiveness, His restoration, and His value placed upon your life, regardless of what anybody else has labeled you, said about you, looked upon you as, God says you're His child, and He gave His Son to redeem you. If you need God's saving, redeeming grace today and you're ready to receive it, would you stand right where you are right now? God is saying to you, I have for you what I gave to her, complete forgiveness. Does anybody need that forgiveness today? Thank you. Anybody else? You would just stand. Say, Lord, I need that redemption. Let you just stand where you're at. You need that. Just stand. Come on, just be bold and stand. Come on. It's the time you get to get your back off the wall today. God's moving you out. See, the world puts your back against the wall. Jesus is setting you free to move to his feet right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.